0: Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Phantom Podcast. My name is Saint. And my name is Jim. And we are back in your ear holes for another fun filled rant about something
1: nerd related. Uh, that's uh, all we do around here. As we do. Jim, how you doing, buddy? You know, pretty good. I'm a little bit bummed out because I had to uh, put my lady on a, in an airplane. Somebody. A couple of days ago, Tuesday, she had to uh, to head back home uh, out east for a couple things, and we're going to get together next month um, for a couple of concerts, but then after that, um, it's going to be a little while before I see her again. So we knew it was coming, we planned for it, but it still stinks to uh, to have to uh, say goodbye to your partner for a little while. Um, at least, well, not goodbye, but at least I'll see you later. So that's kind of a pain in the ass, but other than that, I mean, doing pretty well. How about you? Uh, you know, I'm exhausted.
0: It was yeah a really weird week for me, hours-wise. Because like I go back on the board usually Monday at midnight. So, mm-hmm. oh, 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 in the morning. And yeah. so I can get called time between then and whenever. And so if they call me early enough, like 1 or 2 o'clock, like they usually do, I can be done with my day conceivably around like 2, 3 o'clock, come home, have the night with my family, start again. Well, at this point, they didn't call me out till, like, one in the afternoon. Uh. Something like that. And so now, then I have to work overnight, come back home in the morning, sleep during the day, go back out overnight. And it's just, it sets your whole week up for failure. And then on top of that, uh, yesterday, Friday, as we record this, uh, we were uh, very, very happy and pleased to go to my nephew's graduation ceremony in uh nice uh tacoma they had it at the tacoma dome there was quite a lot of people there because it was the, the tacoma t- dome class of 2020 class of 2021 and class of 2022 uh, pierce college graduates so
1: covid uh, era commencements
0: yeah it was a lot of people there and I gotta say, man, that was just—it was far too peoplely for my taste, but uh, uh, worthwhile because you know you don't get to see your your family graduate that often. I'm super proud of Connor. He's a very smart kid. He's got a bright future, and I, I was just happy I could be there for that. So, but uh, there were definitely a lot of people, and my spoon count was rather low. So,
1: spoon! Oh, I can only imagine. Well, I mean, at least we got a little bit of relaxation coming up this weekend. I I uh, caught up on the first two episodes of uh, Ms. Marvel this morning, hoping to dig into some uh, some more Horizon Forbidden West later. I still got to watch all of Moon Knight, got to catch up on the boys, so, you know, my weekend's pretty well sorted out. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I should leave the house at some point, because the weather's actually pretty beautiful. It's been pretty toasty out here the last couple of weeks, but... Um, you know, I've, I've always been kind of an indoor kid and there's plenty to do. Uh, I think I might be doing something over the 4th of July, I don't know yet, we'll see. But, um, you know, and, and then I have, uh, I actually picked up a side gig, a little side hustle-hustle. Um, there's a, uh, a concert venue near me called Alpine Valley and okay. it's kind of equidistant, um, you know, between a couple of different metro areas. It's, it's If you drew a big triangle between Madison, Milwaukee, and Chicago, um, Alpine Valley's definitely in there. So a lot of bands that can't or don't want to book shows in those areas are booking at alpine valley and i actually worked security there years ago but a friend of mine put something on facebook saying hey we need some people to pour some beer is the easiest gig you'll ever you know have you don't even need to check ids they wristband them if they want beer at the outside of the beer tent they just rock up to your thing uh, and, and most of them have cards and then you just pour the beer they want you hand them the beer and then you get paid a base rate plus whatever tips you make and around here in wisconsin not only do people drink like they don't want to live But it's also pretty well understood that, you know, you tip a dollar a drink, even if somebody just poured you a beer. So I have a couple of shows coming up that I'm going to be working out there just to kind of pick up some extra summer cash on weekends when I got nothing else going on. And uh, I get to work a couple of pretty good shows. I get to uh, work the Dave Matthews band show, um, get to uh, hang out for Rage Against the Machine and uh, Jimmy Buffett, a couple of fish shows. And uh, so it should be really fun. I have always
0: wanted to see Rage Against the Machine live. I've never had a chance to do that, so
1: maybe I can... I don't know that I'll hear them, i see them, but I'll definitely hear them from where I am. I, I probably won't be able to turn around and watch the stage because I'll have to be looking for people who want to drink, and this is Wisconsin, so there will be people who want to drink. Right. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll at least be able to hear them. And, uh, you know, Rage Against the Machine is a band that uh, ties pretty heavily into our topic for today, so that might be a nice segue into the next actual body of the discussion here. Right. Well, we'll get to that. But I wanted to. We did this thing for a while called.
0: Uh, we were talking. We were riffing on the old Family Guy grinds my gears thing. And uh, <laughs> I, I've had a couple of things pop up, and, and they're, again, they're stupid, just little nothing, insignificant bastard things that just kind of uh, poke hot coals into my eyes and make me angry. So, yep. yeah. One of one of the things lately is I've been uh, I I screw around on my phone a lot at work when I'm waiting for crews, and so I've been playing a lot of uh, those little stupid phone app games and. Lately, it's been uh, solitaire. I've been playing the Microsoft Solitaire Collection. Sure, good old-fashioned classic. Why not time waster? And uh, every now and again, it pops up an ad, and it's an unskippable ad. Nothing you can do about it. But the thing is, is they've got these ads that are for games that you know. It actually looks like if you could play the ad, it'd be kind of fun, right? First and foremost, uh, they don't. They're nothing like the game. They're, they're no, little mini games, no. but they're absolutely nothing. What like what's in the game? What the hell? And I've been fooled by a couple of them. In fact, I still play one of those games called Golden Goblins, and or Goblins and Gold, or whatever the hell it's called. But uh, the ad had it like uh, you upgrade like machinery and you drive around and mine and and like that. And uh, I've been playing this game now for seven, eight months, and, and there's nothing like that in the game at all and so it's trickery and they use the same kind of trickery uh for all of these games as like I've seen the same ad for there's a game called Toon Blast there's a game called Homescapes there's a royal match it's all these matchy match games and each like of the Candy comer- Crush? right each of the ads is very very similar uh the main character is either too hot or too cold and you have to match to kind of cool things off or heat things up as it were and uh uh, then the, the games aren't anything like that. I played Tomb Blast for a long time way back in the day, and and it's nothing like that. And so that's kind of like just deceptive, false advertising, which I really uh, I take offense to. I don't like it whatsoever. Uh, no, I don't think they can you do without it. The other aspect of that is is the psychological aspect of what they're trying to do, because they'll yeah. show somebody playing these quote unquote mini games, these quote unquote games. And this guy sucks. Whoever's playing, he's like missing obvious choices, uh, fucking up either on purpose or due to sheer ignorance. <laughs> and, and then the whole end of the ad is, can you do better? And it's like, first of all, in my head, like, oh, yeah, I can do better. That guy's inept. And then the other part of me is like, that's the trick. They're trying that's to they trick you. you into downloading the game so you can quote-unquote do better.
1: And I don't like that psychological bullshit. That's, uh, it's manipulative, and I don't like it. I mean, as somebody who's worked in marketing and advertising for most of my adult life, I uh, I feel you. <laughs> I mean, I, I've always tried. I, I, thankfully, I've, I've mostly worked for ethical companies who don't ask me to advertise things inaccurately or misleadingly. And in the right. cases where I felt something was a little bit sketchy in that direction, I went ahead and talked to you know the creative director or whoever was responsible for that particular campaign. I was like, ah, Really not really all that comfortable with this. And in most cases, they've, uh, you know, gone ahead and let us kind of back off a little bit. But, yeah, that, that's sort of like uh very the clickbaity button-pushy, playing on your sort of, like, psychological, yeah, can you do better? Well, you know, I mean, I imagine an orangutan could do better. So, uh, yeah, I probably could do better than that. And then you download this game, and it's nothing like a, the actual ad said it was.
0: Right, like, I, I went into this Golden Goblins game really kind of wanting to try how they were doing things, and it's like... Uh, I I like I said I'm on like level 58 so I've obviously been playing it a while, and it it's the same game over and over and over again. It's never anything different. It's a time waster. So yeah. that mini game just does not exist. And, and figures you, you know, I was hoodwinked, man. They they, they horn swoggled me into it.
1: Suckers. Oof. Well, I mean yeah. I feel that uh, I do, and I guess uh, if I'm gonna. Go off into on of my own. What's grinding my gears this week is, uh, you know, anybody who knows me, it's not a secret. I'm pretty politically involved. I tend to pay attention to, uh, you know, current events in the news. And good. I've been watching a lot of the January 6th insurrection hearings. Oh, good. And holy shit, it's like living through our own Nuremberg. Everything's just coming out in the wash. And it, it's getting to the point where they've run so many pieces of footage from people who were in the former guy's inner circle, who went on record as saying, no, I told him the election wasn't stolen, I told him there was no fraud, I told him he lost, and he still insisted upon perpetuating this lie for personal gain, because then he and his inner circle, that was kind of outside the people who actually worked in the administration, like his his longtime toadies, like Rudy Giuliani and the rest of his legal team, put together this election defense fund and started sending out up to 25 emails a day, to people who are on their mailing list and asking them for money. And these schmucks donated up over $250 million to a defense fund that didn't exist. And it went right in Trump's pockets, did whatever he wanted with it. But that's not even the worst part of it. The worst part of it is that they're able to... The the January 6th commission um, is demonstrating beyond a shadow of a doubt that not only was this an orchestrated planned insurrection, but that Trump and his team were at the heart of it. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because... I was very hopeful when the Mueller report was happening that maybe they'd be able to say, hey, there was very clear wrongdoing here. This is an entirely different thing, though. After the Mueller report came out that was about collusion and about some of the other things that he had uh, allegedly done, I have to say, because the the report very famously said um, this does not absolve him of any wrongdoing, but, you know, it doesn't bring any direct accusations. Well, this is shit he did out in front of the cameras and in front of people and in front of microphones, and it's very easy to prove this is what he did. And so it's interesting to see how they're presenting their evidence. And I've already seen um, some interviews on different news outlets and even some TikToks where there were people that were hardcore Trumpers who are looking at this going, Hey, this piece of shit lied to us. Everything that the left said was true, that he was a con artist, that he was... Uh, just trying to use the presidency for his own personal piggy bank, that he was absolutely behind this insurrection, that it was really Trump fans, duh, wearing their red MAGA hats and waving their flags and breaking windows on the Capitol building, people, at least the smarter ones, are starting to wake up a little bit, and I think that's the entire thrust of this uh, this insurrection hearing. they got to get the court of public opinion in their corner and prove to people, hey, he really did do these things, but also, if they present a strong enough body of evidence that the president was culpable in fomenting a revolution, basically, whether or not it succeeded. He certainly tried to do that. And then at mm-hmm. that point it becomes the Justice Department and therefore Merrick Garland's uh, purview to, uh, to actually go ahead and uh, they're obligated to prosecute at that point. So right. we could, in the next couple of years, see a former American president go to federal prison. And I, for one, think he fucking should. Uh, I really do. But... I guess we'll see what happens, but it's been interesting to live through historical events for the last couple of years, you know, the whole Trump presidency notwithstanding, COVID notwithstanding, those weren't the greatest, but um, to see uh, people who know better than me, who have access to these materials and these interviews and all this evidence, presenting a case, both for the American public and for the Justice Department, it's just, it's it's one of the more interesting things I've lived through and, you know, I'm, I'm pushing 50 up here in a couple years.
0: Yeah, I've been following some of that on CNN. Uh, I have a lot, like I said, I have a lot of time at work to sit and and, and yeah. click random things. So, but uh, I was reading about uh, uh, Clarence Thomas's wife is kind oh, of a big, boy, a big voice behind that, and not only that, but she's been working through uh, Clarence Thomas and, and everything. In fact, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. set up a Venmo payment for uh, a, the coup buses and they called it yep. the coup buses and they used uh, Clarence Thomas's private email for a contact for a go between
1: that's yeah, got to I mean, be some kind of wicked conflict of interest i mean look i know supreme court justices are supposed to be on the bench for life but if you've got one whose wife is actively working to overthrow the government and he's one of 9 people who makes up one of the three branches of government that are supposedly separate but equal i mean yeah, you can't have that. You cannot have that. There's got to be some provision in the law that uh, that makes us so that we can get that guy off the bench because his wife wants to overthrow the government and was very active. She emailed Mark Eastman, who was on Trump's legal team, a bunch of times. She was emailing back and forth with Mark Meadows, who was Trump's chief of staff. It, it, uh, to, it's to think filthy. that there's somebody living in the house of a sitting Supreme Court justice who was active in trying to overthrow the government, that's that's a constitutional crisis. That's unfucking precedented They didn't ever write that shit into the law because they never thought they had to, but hopefully somebody has a way around it, and uh, even if it goes to the Supreme Court and he has to recuse himself from voting against himself, or for himself, <laughs> whatever you got, the whole thing is just that we've never seen this before. There are no provisions to deal with this kind of thing in the law, because we just never thought we'd have to say, hey, what if a Supreme Court justice's spouse or partner is trying to overthrow the government from within? What do we do then? What are our recourses? We don't have any, because we never had to. Fl- we never thought we had to plan for that.
0: Hey, fire is bad. Don't touch fire.
1: Yeah. Gosh, yeah. some things ought to be self-explanatory and self-evident. But, you know, here we are, and uh, we're going to have to at some point deal with it, or else it's going to deal with us.
0: Yeah, it's it's a really weird situation. Like I said last week, I'm sick of living through uh, unprecedented historic events. I'm kind of tired of it. Amen. But, I am with uh, you. Not the thrust of the podcast. Like I said, we just kind of want to every now and again get a little something, something off our chest. If something's like yeah, really yeah. Uh, shoving the dirt in our eyes, we want to kind of speak it out and get it off our chest. Either way, so mine was about dumb video games. Yours is about political collapse. So hey, whatever.
1: You know, I mean, they're both equally valid topics of conversation. I mean, I know everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. That's what we say at the end of every episode. But, That's you know, true. one of my biggest fandoms tends to be politics, which is weird because it's often disappointing. But I I, I pay attention to the news. And if, if one can be a fan of politics, uh, I mean, I don't even know if I'm a fan necessarily. I just feel like I'm in the spot where it's exhausting to pay attention, but it feels irresponsible not to. So I just sort of yeah. keep my ear to the ground and and pay attention to what's going on. I, I mean, I love to hate some of it, and even the stuff that I actually like. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of, necessarily. It's just, hey, these are important things that are happening. So I don't know if that qualifies as fandom, but I guess under the, the mission statement of this podcast, uh, I'll go ahead and say that it does.
0: Unfortunately, we set that in motion, so it has to be a fandom. We yep. spoke it into existence. <laughs> there it is but not really the thrust of the conversation as you might imagine Mm -hmm. we're not a political podcast we don't like to sit there and uh, we're not pundits of any kind of stretch of the imagination so but what we do uh, have in common jim what we do share is an abiding love of all things musical and i was like i said flipping around on the aforementioned internet while i was uh, trying to stay awake at work overnight and I realized, I found an article where they had mentioned that they had hired a new lead singer for Smash Mouth. Yeah. So, now, and if, for anyone who knows, a uh, little bit ago, I don't, I'm not sure exactly when it was, but uh, there was an incident with uh, the lead singer, Smash Mouth, and Steve Harwell, I think is his name. That's it. Uh, and so... He was like throwing out Nazi salutes on stage and blamed it on exhaustion, blamed it on medication, blamed it on uh, a number of things. But uh, after that, he was summarily and roundly fired from Smash Mouth, which is anyone... I'm going to admit right out, I've always been a fan of Smash Mouth since the first album that they put out, You Mang. I've been a fan. I really enjoy what they do. They had an interesting sound back when we needed different interesting sounds. And then of course when Shrek blew up, uh, that's when Smash Mouth really got big with All Star.
1: Somebody wants told me
0: But uh I was sad to see them go. I know they they've been they're kinda of way outside of their heyday. You know, the walking on the suns or the All Stars or, or things like that, but uh
1: yeah, but I mean, you know me. I have mad love for 90s bands whether or not they've they've done anything relevant or radio-worthy at any point in the past, you know, 15, 20 years. There's good memories attached to that stuff, and I, you know, I like Smash Mouth just fine. I actually my old band used to cover Walking on the Sun, and it was a really fun song to do. Yeah, absolutely. And and so again,
0: I don't blame them for firing their lead singer, but it kind of at that point, they I thought the band was done. I thought I thought they were gone and just yeah. You know, settled into obscurity like happens to so many one or two hit wonders out of the 90s and 2000s. And so I didn't pay much mind until I saw this article saying that they'd replaced him. And I got to say, I don't have his name in front of me, but. Zach Good is his there name. There you go. You've got the name. Look, see, you always got my back. I appreciate that. I got that's you, so, That's so Zach Good of you. <laughs> but, but, but uh,. So they they hired this guy, and then they released as kind of a promo for the hiring of this guy, and they released a a cover that they did that I I heard about, but you made me watch, and and, and damn you for making me watch it, because it's a cover of uh, Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. The classic Rick Roll. And it sounds a little something like this. So, I mean, here's the thing. The big takeaway from that is he he sounds an awful lot like Steve Harwell did. Which is good. It's great for their brand. But uh, it brought into mind a question that I kind of wanted to to branch to you, Jim, and then to you, our listeners at large, because I I want you guys to weigh in on this as well. There has been an unprecedented. I I can't say unprecedented again. That's fucking too many times. There has been this. As long as there's been popular music, there's been this trend to, to hire and fire and move people around and uh, reinvent yourselves
1: and. Yeah, you know uh, as well as I do that being in a band is just as much about chemistry as it is music.
0: Absolutely, and and if you don't got the chemistry, it's really hard to keep bands going. Like whether it's uh, the replacements of like one of the biggest ones is Van Halen. Yeah. And that one's probably one of the more publicized cases. Van Halen, of course, uh, notoriously started with uh, David Lee Roth at the helm. Diamond Dave. Diamond Dave. with his, He's got a particular style. It, and, and I suffice it to say there's not a lot of people who can match that style. Uh, he's, he's just this, the
1: weird 80s glam metal swagger that he had going on. Yeah, you less know. less an actual trained singer, and more just about kind of delivery and attitude, and it worked for them for a very very long time, right?
0: And and then what happened is is they replaced him at one point with uh, Sammy Hagar, the Red Rocker, the Red Rocker, Mon- yes, from Montrose himself, and 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 so. A lot of people bitched, and I'm not going to say I wasn't one of them back in the day because I was like, you're changing the whole nature of the band, and it sounds nothing the same, and and even when Hagar would cover some of the uh, David Lee Roth era stuff, it it had such a different feel to it because it came without that swagger and without all of that uh, delivery that Dave had, a very particular kind of delivery. (laughs) And yeah. so it sounded it sounded weird to my ears, but then you get used to it, and yeah. then you oh, all of a
1: sudden I'm okay with Van Hagar. I don't mind it, you know. And if I'm being really, really honest, I actually kind of prefer the Sammy Hagar version of Van Halen. Nothing against Diamond Dave. Diamond Dave was great for a time, but that sort of like swaggy cock rock thing was uh, was popular <laughs> for a while. But I think Sammy Hagar, when he joined the band, he he actually brought a certain level of leg- legitimacy. This guy was actually a really, really good singer. He didn't sound anything like David Lee Roth, but he brought a certain gravitas to the band that I think they had been lacking up to that point with like silly, like Hot for Teacher and, you know, uh, Shout of the Devil kind of stuff. It was a little bit goofy, a little bit corny. And then Sammy Hagar came in and they're doing stuff like Why Can't This Be Love and Dreams and these really, really great sort of anthemic 80s kind of over the top arena rock hits. And I actually. Uh, you know, I, I kind of preferred that version of the band, to be honest.
0: Right, and then so you get really used to that, and then all of a sudden comes Swaggering in. They They kicked out. Uh, Sammy Hagar and brought in for exactly one album and it's not a great album. I've tried listening to it again recently. It's not great. But they brought in Gary Cherone from Extreme. again (laughs) someone extraordinarily different and tried to reinvent i don't know if there's been a band out there who's tried to reinvent themselves quite so many times as uh (laughs) as fucking van halen has and and so that's kind of the thrust of the conversation we want to talk about uh the music industry and their changaroo and 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 moving people around and bringing people in who worked who didn't you know, yeah. w- which was beneficial for the bands, which was not. Because as we were talking about with uh, Smash Mouth, now if you look down the list of members of Smash Mouth, only the bass players are the same. He's the only remaining <laughs> member of the band who's still of the original formative uh, Smash Mouth. Other, other than that, they've all been replaced. And that's fine. You can still go yeah. and call yourself Smash Mouth and doing that. And, and lots of bands have done it, and that's what we're going to talk about today, but... Uh, who's done it better? Who's done it well? And and I wanted to poach one to you at first because uh, you are a huge fan. We It's well documented. I'm a huge fan oh, yeah. myself. But the band Queen has yeah. gone on. Now, of course, the Queen had to, uh, not disband, but they,
1: they kind of ended when Freddie Mercury ended. When he died. And Yeah, Freddie Mercury uh, died November 24th of 1991. Very sad day. And uh, everybody thought he would take the band down with him, but they still had some road to run. Right. So they they took some time off. They, They actually did a big Freddie Mercury tribute concert, which was the last time that John Deacon, their original bass player, appeared as a member of Queen. And then moving forward, they have had a couple of different singers that have kind of filled in and and done some stuff with the band. They've been uh, Queen and Paul Rogers, and Paul Mm -hmm. Rogers, of course, of Free and Bad Company. Um, And then they, uh, most recently, the last couple of years, have been working with Adam Lambert of American Idol fame, um, who, while he doesn't sound like Freddie Mercury, has Freddie energy. He has that flamboyance, he has that stage presence, he has that vocal range. Um, He's not trying to replace Freddie, he's just trying to kind of bring the same sort of energy to the band. And I, as much as I love Queen, and as much as I adore Freddie Mercury, I gotta hand it to Adam Lambert. He's doing a fine job. I just watched Queen and uh, their performance at the, uh, the Royal Jubilee for uh, Her Royal Majesty Queen Elizabeth 70 years I on saw the throne. That. Tonight, I'm
0: gonna have
1: myself a real good time I feel alive.
0: Inside out, yeah. I'm floating around in ecstasy.
1: And uh, yeah, I mean, he's out there doing it. He's, he's, you know, uh, Brian May and Roger Taylor are in their seventies, and uh, they're out there with this uh, energetic. You know, lead front man who's, who's got great fashion sense and amazing voice. Um, you know, he doesn't sound like Freddie, but he brings that energy, and I, 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 I have my hat out for him. I, I really respect him for that. He's got that big Fred energy. He does, yeah. <laughs> as long as we're in that sort of classic arena rock bucket, there were a couple of different other bands of the era who definitely shifted around singers. And It's it's a tough thing to do. Like, a lot of the time, if you have a band and you replace a drummer, not that I'm bagging on my my, my skinsman, (laughs) because I'm one of them, but if you replace a drummer, not many people are going to bat too much of an eyelash. Drummers are seen as kind of replaceable. I mean, I I can hear individual styles in drummers, but they're not going to be uh, very discernible to most people, especially in the of his parts.
0: Not as noticeable.
1: Yeah, but because vocalists are so... They're an emotional, visual, central, musical focal point of a band, and in many ways they do bring a certain level of personality. They're the person who's out there singing the words, expressing the emotion to the people. A lot of that comes from the music, but you can sort it to a certain degree, unless somebody's like a landmark, well-known guitar player, or a, you know, a bass player of note, like a Thundercat or a Les Claypool or a Bootsy Collins or something, you can pretty much shuffle the dudes behind the the singer around, and not mo- many people have an my lash, but singers, because they are so... Easily identifiable and do have such a literal signature voice, it's a tougher thing to do. But so many bands have done it, and if we're in that arena rock bucket, we got to talk about Journey. Oh yeah, they uh, have got one of the better stories um, recently that I've heard. Uh, they had a guy named Greg Rowley who sang for them originally. He kind of came and went before they recorded anything, and the the long standing most well known voice of Journey is Steve Perry. Of course, he's got that you know sort of soaring tenor. Uh, he's got a really distinctive voice, or so we thought. Because when he decided he didn't want to do that thing anymore, they actually brought in a series of other singers. And there have been quite a few of them. Uh, Notably Jeff Scott Soto, who didn't sound much like uh, Steve Perry, but actually had that energy. Uh, Their drummer, uh, Dean Castronovo, uh, sang a couple of songs. He sang Faithfully and Open Arms out live. And if you you go to YouTube and look that guy up, they could have just popped him up behind the kit and hired a different drummer and had him sing everything. He sounds fantastic. But the guy they got singing now, there's a guy named Arnel Pineda, and I just love the story. He was a guy who was singing in cover bands in Manila, Philippines, and uh, he had a pretty adaptable voice. He did some, some uh, Bon Jovi, he did some other other bands, but uh, what really went over the best for him was his Steve Perry impression. He had a really good Steve Perry, and his band in Manila played a bunch of Journey. So when Neil Sean and the rest of the guys in Journey were looking for a replacement to really go back out on tour and bring Journey back from sort of the brink of Extinction, they found Arnell Pineda on YouTube, and they sent him uh, a message saying, hey, we're Journey, we'd like to maybe try you out for the band. And Arnell was like, yeah, okay, pull the other one.
0: And he didn't <laughs> uh,
1: answer them back. So they kept on, they persisted in contacting this guy, and he said, they sent me a plane ticket at one point, and I got on the plane thinking, Oh what the hell, this is a scam. It's They're going to great lengths to try and get this thing together. It might be, I don't think it's real, it might be real, but what, what the fuck? Free trip to America. And then... Arnold Panetti gets off the plane and he sees Neil Sean Holding a sign with his name on it at the gate And he said, that's when I realized it was real So Arnold started <laughs> off As a kid who was, uh, he was singing For his supper, he was living, you know Hand to mouth, you know, singing on the streets Of Manila, trying to make money And, and feed himself, and just—and then he got plucked From obscurity by one of the biggest Bands in the world, and throw right out in front And there he still is, and, and God bless him He's doing a fantastic job, it's such a great story
0: Just a small town girl Living in a lonely world She took the midnight train going anywhere Chester!
1: and they're they're a great band really if you want to get down to brass tacks, they're they're a great band and i love the fact that they found a way to continue after the departure of their uh, their signature voice
0: absolutely and i've always said and and, and as a vocalist i know that uh, this just comes off sounding like i'm cocky or like i've got some kind of ego trip and anyone who knows me knows that's as far from the point as possible i've got Fast. i got so much just internalized anxiety and imposter <laughs> syndrome that i am just not allowed to have that lead singer's disease like everyone's always talking about. It's like, no, I don't have that both. ego. I'm just up there for fun. I, I enjoy what I yep. do. So, But, Same. you know, there, there's always been this little back part of me going, any singer can go and <laughs> if they get terminated from a band, a la, like David Lee Roth, you could find a sound-alike band. I mean, like you said, singers are a bit harder to emulate. Not impossible, yeah. as it turns out, but
1: a little not impossible, harder, but you know yes. Eddie Van Halen was such an influential guitarist that there's dozens of guys who study these techniques, and you know if you close yeah. your eyes you, you, they can sort of sound like him if you don't know any better and so I think uh, I remember reading that David Lee Roth and uh, Michael Anthony, who was the original bass player for Van Halen before they fired him and plugged in Eddie's kid um right, who I guess did a fine enough job I mean you know no, it's nothing against Van Wolf Halen. And, yeah, everybody in thing. the band's last name is Van Halen, except for the guy who's singing. Then I guess you know you their their names on the on the door, and they get to sign the checks and do whatever the fuck they want. So good for right. them. But yeah, uh, David Lee Roth and Michael Anthony went out and toured some uh, some I guess Van Halen stuff and had some medium to decent success with it. So yeah, sure, yeah. I mean, go ahead, do whatever you want.
0: Right, and and so uh, that's kind of uh, an interesting concept because one of the next bands I want to talk about, it wasn't the lead singer that they replaced, it wasn't even the backup singer they replaced. Now, I'm talking about one of the biggest bands in the world. One of the biggest bands in the world. And they'll they'll be the first to tell you that they're the biggest band in the world. Because (laughs) their mouthpiece is one of the most arrogant dudes in music that I can think of. And I think you know who I'm talking about, Jim. I'm talking about Kiss. Yes. Uh, There is no one more self-promotional in the world than Gene Simmons. He'll slap the Kiss name on anything and sell it to you. Yeah. But very famously, the band originally started out as uh, Paul Stanley, who was the star child on vocals and guitar. Uh, You had uh, Gene Simmons, the Demon, playing bass and vocals. You had Ace Frehley the spaceman on lead guitar and you had Peter Chris on drums and yeah. that was your main kiss lineup. And, and I never gave too much thought about the fact that, you know, they changed members back and forth because they kept these people in the makeup. Yeah. Uh, for the, for the most part.
1: And so they all had different makeup, but you know, you see a guy up there in white grease paint and some black streaks. You don't necessarily look too close.
0: Right. Exactly that. But kiss has got a long list of replacements. Uh, Tommy Thayer is the current uh, lead guitarist and backing vocalist. Uh, and he replaced uh, Ace Frehley. Uh, and, and then, of course, the current drummer, Eric Singer, uh, who's also taken on the Catman mantle from uh, Peter Chris. But we also have, in addition, Eric Carr was a drummer. Uh, he went from 1980 to 1991 until he passed away. You had Vinnie Vincent on lead guitar, who was a character called the Ankh Warrior. So at least they changed his him. makeup up. Eric Carr, up. of course, was the Fox. I apologize, I didn't mention that. Uh, you had another lead guitarist, uh, Mark St. John, who was very, very briefly in the brand. And uh, lead guitarist and backing vocalist Bruce Cullick, who was in as kind of a guest fill-in. And then several different touring members. But the idea is is they've always still just been the one unit. And you can't, like you said, we can't yeah. really tell uh, unless you know to listen for it uh, just by looking at them because they've got the same look, they've got the same appearance. You, you're not going to be able to tell a dude behind a drum from one to from another if they're wearing the same makeup. I mean, it's a bit more yeah. nebulous. It is. Um, but uh, I wanted to make sure I brought them up because they are... Again, one of the biggest bands in the world, just ask Gene, and... Uh, <laughs> ask him, he'll tell you. <laughs> he will tell
1: yeah. you. One of the other big bands that kind of falls into the loose, uh, kind of 70s classic arena rock bucket that has just burned through members, like Spinal Tap burned through drummers, is <laughs> one of my all-time favorites, uh, Fleetwood Mac. Oh, now, Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac, Mac and Cheese. Oh, yeah. Fleetwood Mac, at its core, is named after uh, the two core members. Um, was, um Mick Fleetwood on drums, and John McVie on bass. And Fleetwood Mac, of course, started out as a blue-eyed soul band in the 60s in England. And, um, you know, they eventually brought in uh, Christine McVie as John's wife on keyboards. But they've burned through just singers alone. Uh, if, you, if you look at just the rhythm sections being the core of that band, McFleetwood and John McVie, they've burned through so many singers. Um, <laughs> Peter Green, Jeremy Spencer, Danny Kerwin, Bob Welch, Christine, obviously, did some singing. Uh, Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks, who are kind of uh, considered to be the, 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 the core, uh, if not, or at least the, the, the full-strength lineup uh, with Christine. And then uh, for a while they also had Rick Vito, Billy Burnett, and Becca Bramlett uh, after Stevie and Lindsey left the first time. And then Stevie and Lindsey came back, and now Lindsey's gone again. It's they, They've had a, a shifting roster Revolving unlike pretty door. much any other band. Oh, yeah. And I'm lucky, very lucky, that I got to see them at what I consider to be the full-strength lineup, which is Fleetwood, the McVees, Buckingham, and Knicks at uh, the uh, United Center in Chicago, I want to say. And that was probably going on five, six years ago now. Um, and it was two shows after Christine came back, but about a year and a half, two years before Lindsay was on the outs again. And holy shit, and I've seen, I think between bands that I've seen in concert, concerts I've played myself, and concerts I've worked security at, I have been at more than a thousand concerts, and this one was a top five. If you're at all nice. into Fleetwood Mac, that's the lineup you want to see. They sounded fucking fantastic. They sounded amazing. No jobbers, no replacements, just the the five members who who were responsible for the most notable, biggest, most long-standing, greatest hits. And, and, oh boy, was that a great show.
0: Now, speaking of, uh, I'm, I'm going to deviate a bit into the, the rock and metal world. Uh, one of the biggest bands in uh, metal, and I'm pretty sure anyone will agree with me, is Metallica. For good yep. or for bad, whether you like them or hate them, think they fell off at one point, whatever. Uh, their original lineup consisted of you know Cliff Burton, Lars Ulrich, James Hetfield, Kirk Hammett, and Dave Mustaine. Yeah, of all people from uh, Megadeth, and we'll come back to Megadeth. That's a that's a big one here too, but. Uh, and then, of course, uh, they did notoriously fire, uh, Dave Mustaine, uh, and I don't think they replaced him, they just kinda, uh, went on, and yeah, then, they, when they tragically, to to the tragically, tragically, they lost, uh, Cliff Burton, uh, in a, in a bus accident while they were touring, and, uh, so, of course, uh, by the time, uh, they made it big with their Black album, um, uh, they had replaced him with Jason Newstead, and so yep. Jason Newstead stayed and was the bass player for quite some time, and very successfully so. Uh, however, you want to look at it through the load and reload years and all that. But then, uh, when it came time for uh, Saint Anger and the albums that followed that, uh, they brought on. They were originally interviewing uh, with Bob, their uh, uh, studio musician and producer. Bob Rock and uh, I know if, if you watch watched the documentary Some Kind of Monster which is actually pretty goddamn good I enjoyed it but uh, you get to see a lot of the struggle of them writing and creating this new album and trying to deal with having to replace uh, Jason Newstead as they record this album as they prepare for another tour and, and it was really neat and of course they went with uh, uh, one of my favorite I mean, I like him. He's a fantastic bass player. Oh, yeah. But uh, uh, Robert Trujillo from uh, Suicidal Tendencies and Infectious Groups, which is where I knew him from. And uh, I, I for one, I love his energy. I love his style. It's a style all his own. He certainly doesn't do what Cliff would have done. He certainly doesn't emulate Jason to, the, to a bit. He is very much his own man. And... To his benefit, he, he kicks ass. He's got
1: a great he style does. and a great flair. He is fantastic. I, You know, I, I've never admittedly gotten much into metal. Uh, it's kind of one of those things that I respect it, uh, and I, I do like certain songs, but overall I would not call myself a metal fan. There are some bands that I like, and there's some songs that I like, but, I mean, overall, um, it's just kind of one of those things that, uh, it's what it is is great, but what it is is not for me in most cases. But, yeah, I, I definitely have, you know, you can't be a carbon-based life form and not have heard Metallica in, in their right. various iterations. I mean, they're, they're just one of those timeless American bands that, that seem to just kind of have been around forever and will be around forever. And they do a little bit of musical chairs, literally, with the bass player position. But, I mean, you know, uh, overall, I think uh, they've comported themselves well. And I don't think anybody would argue that they still have quite a, quite a bit of road to run in front of them.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I'll let you pick the next one since we're just going to
1: bounce back and forth. And, well, as long uh, as we're in the metal bucket, uh, yeah. metal, kind of, metal hard rock, let's, let's kind of stick with that for a little, a little while because sure. there have been <clears throat> quite a few bands, actually, in that particular bucket that have um, done a lot the of shit in terms of the metal position. The metal bucket. Um, ACDC in particular. Um, yes. Now, ACDC, their original singer, Dave Evans, uh, when they first got together, didn't stick around long enough to record anything. But then Bon Scott uh, had that sort of, like, legendary reedy screech, and, um, you know, they, they brought him on, and he uh, was in the band until 1980, and then uh, he sadly died of alcohol poisoning. He lived too much of the hard rock star lifestyle, he and uh, he passed away. And they were sort of, the, you know, the brothers young, and, and the rest of the band were sort of left into a, in a bit of a crisis, and they eventually uh, hired a, a great singer named Brian Johnson, who has done quite a few of the songs that, uh, that ACDC is most famous for, uh, you mm-hmm. know, Thunderstruck and Who Made Who and just all these really great 80s rock anthems that they uh, they put out. And then ACDC hit a bit of a snag. I don't want to say they hit the skids because they're a great band, but they hit a snag. And then um, they sort of disbanded for a little while. And then when they wanted to get back together, Brian Johnson didn't really want to do it for a little while, so they actually worked for a minute with Axel Rose. See, now it wasn't a
0: matter that he didn't want to do it. It was a matter he had failing health. He was... Having a hard time with his equilibrium and in his inner ear. Yeah. And as anyone who's mm-hmm. ever sang anything goes, if something's up with your hearing, you're done. It, it screws yeah. everything. I mean, Huey and Lewis
1: so. has uh, dropped out and uh, doesn't really chew anymore because he's got Meniere's disease. And it's hard for him to uh, perform to the level that he wants to. So the Axl Rose years were more of a uh, weird museum curiosity than anything else. I don't even think they were wa- anything with that. I wanted to hate it. I
0: really wanted yeah, to hate it because because this mean, wasn't lanky, sexy rock god Axl Rose. This was right. Uh, ate too many buckets of fried chicken, past his prime. Axel Rose put them on
1: bucket heads. Head buckets of fried chicken. Buckets. <laughs> right. But um, I watched some of the footage. Uh, from yeah, these they weren't He was pretty Axl, good to his credit. You know, Axel kind of has that same sort of like swaggering egotistical asshole rock star thing going on. But he uh, kind of stepped into a, a sandbox that wasn't his own. And he really kind of took to it, I thought. (laughs) Um, It was weird, but I didn't hate it either. Um, Yeah. Weird is a good way to describe it. Yeah, they've had some more bumps. Uh, Malcolm Young, very famously, uh, is having some mental decline. He suffers from dementia, so he was not able to be a part of the most recent iteration of ACDC, but they are back together again um, with Brian Johnson out in the front, and they're they're kicking out some more very classic, very unmistakable ACDC rock anthems, so yes, good for them. True. They're another band that uh, really just... Uh, I'm glad they're still out there and still making the music.
0: Now, next one I want to talk about is one that I uh, directly affects me. It's one of the bands that I've listened to for pretty much my entire life I mean since I was in uh, I want to say sophomore year of high school is when I picked this band up and it was with the album uh, Rust in Peace and that's that's, of course Megadeth and I have been a fan of Megadeth for like I said almost all of my life but Megadeth has rotated through a list of members as well and uh, they've gone through of course one of my favorite drummers for the band Nick Menza Uh, he died uh, quite a long time ago. Uh, he he died on stage, uh, which was really kind of brutal. Uh, because he died... Like, he finished a song and then he died on stage. Yeah. I mean, can you get more rock and roll than that? I mean, that's... Talk about putting it all out there, right? Yeah. But uh, Megadeth as it currently sits... Uh, The only original real member of the band is Dave Mustaine, the vocalist and guitarist for the band, who was, of course, as we talked about previously, uh, kicked out of uh, Metallica for being an alcoholic and a drug abuser, which if you know anything about Metallica back in the day, they called them Alcoholica for a reason. So to get kicked out of Metallica for having a drug and alcohol problem that's How much of a problem something. must you have to have?
1: <laughs> the fact that Dave Mustaine is still alive is kind of a minor miracle of modern medicine, I think. Him and Keith Richards, I, boy.
0: Absolutely. And and so, uh, of course, current lineup with uh, James Lomenzo on bass, uh, Kiko Lurio on guitar, and and Dirk Verburian on drums. I'm, now, I mentioned Meta- Megadeth because me and my, uh, my son are going to go see Megadeth in concert in August. Uh, nice. They are, of course, touring with uh, Five Finger Death Punch, who I've seen a couple of times. They're really good, put on a good show. And then The Who, which is the Mongolian metal band that covered Sad But True, which is really kind of uh-huh. cool. Aha! Yeah. And so, uh, that's going to be a fun show. But that brought Megadeth to mind, because, I mean, I, I, I wear the shirts, I listen sure. to the music still. I mean, I'm a huge fan, but they've got a rotating list of cast of characters, including David Elphson. Uh, who they've kicked out rather recently and for reasons that me and Jim are rather familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was uh, apparently grooming or said to have been grooming an underage person <sighs> for sexual purposes.
1: Fucking so, yikes on
0: bikes. Yikes on bikes. But uh, I mean, yeah. that, I could go down the entire list of, of all the previous people in the band, but there's there's quite a few. And so we're not going to do that. But it's, like I said, it's not the original lineup at all. But, I mean, I guess getting to see uh, Mustaine do his thing is still worth it to me, so.
1: Well, if you want to, uh, to talk about uh, metal bands that have had multiple singers, uh, yeah. there are two. There are two that, that kind of take the cake in terms of running neck and neck for how many guys they've thrown out in front of the mic. We got Black <laughs> Sabbath, of course. Uh, oh, man. Originally, the, uh, it's Ozzy Osbourne and Geezer Butler and... Uh, and um, Tell me uh, Tony me. Yami. Yeah, a g- great, great band But they, after Ozzy Split They had a real rotating door of singers Including Dave Walker, Ronnie James Dio, R.I.P Ian Gillen, formerly of Deep Purple Ron Keel, Dave Donato, Glenn Hughes, Ray Gillen, and Tony Martin So, God only knows what they're doing right now But they've uh, they just kind of really Whoever shows up, they kind of throw them with the mic and see what sticks And then uh, across the uh, the pond, there's Anthrax and Anthrax have had many, many singers also. John Connolly, Dirk Kennedy, Jason Rosenfeld, Neil Turbin, Matt Fallon, uh, Joey Belladonna, one of the more famous uh, and well-known, and then John Bush and Dan Nelson have all manned the mic for Anthrax. So, yeah. wow. That's a lot of dudes.
0: It's it's crazy to think, uh, because, I mean, unless you're super, super into a band, you're not going to notice these changes. Uh, another one that I come up with recently, and and it's it's rather sad the way this is all shaken out. Uh, Aerosmith, one of my big fan face bands. We've yeah. talked about them before. Uh, they recently started doing things like their residency in Las Vegas, and they accepted their uh, lifetime achievement indu- induction in the Hall of Fame, and all that shit. But they had a real big uh, problem in that they were excluding Joey Kramer, the drummer. From mm-hmm. all of these uh, proceedings, and it's because founding
1: drummer been there since the '70s.
0: Yeah, and I think it was uh, declining health at one point that they dropped him, but then they wouldn't let him back in because yeah, he, he had an wasn't... injury. I
1: think he injured his foot or his wrist or something, and then they, they were worried that for the Rock and Roll Hall mm-hmm. of Fame induction in particular, he wouldn't be able to play up to their standards. So they, right. they hired a gun for that, and then Joey grabbed a camera crew and showed up outside and started knocking on the door of the rehearsal, and it was just. My, Ah, you never want to see that.
0: It got ugly, and, and to the uh-huh. point, though, that, that they hadn't invited him back to do the residency in Vegas yet, which is now on hold, not for Joey reasons, but for Steven yep. Tyler reasons. Uh, Steven Tyler, womp of course, womp. broke his foot and was on uh, pain medication, which, of course, triggered a relapse, and so he's back in in rehab, and we wish him well. Uh, yep. No, that's not something you want anyone going through, but...
1: Definitely not. Okay, so
0: even Aerosmith. uh, We talk about founding members and everything like that. Of course, the founding five, Steven Tyler, Tom Hamilton, Joey Kramer, Joe Perry, and Brad Whitford. Now, there was a very famous time period uh, right around the release of uh, Night in the Ruts when the band started exploding. Like, just completely blowing themselves up, hating each other and everything. Uh, And and by the time they recorded uh, Draw the Line... Uh, in 1977, uh, they had started... They wouldn't even be in the same room with each other as they recorded. They very famously rented a, an abbey and, and were uh, staying in different rooms and were recording in different rooms. Uh, so by the yep. time Night in the Ruts hit in 1979, they kind of fell off. They exploded. Joe Perry left the band angrily. Joe Perry, the lead guitar player, and part of what they called the Toxic Two. Which was between him and uh, Steven Tyler, and he just walked off. Uh, and so, and then Brad Whitford, of course, uh, also quit, uh, but didn't form another band. I think he just went on to do other things. But uh, uh, Joe Perry went on to record with a band called the Joe Perry Project, and, and it was kind of sad to see it, it d- explode like that, but they all kind of came back together in 1984 85 which they uh, put together an album called done with mirrors which kind of fell off it wasn't it wasn't really well received it was kind of under the radar but then their big defining moment their comeback moment was of course uh steven tyler and joe perry uh jumping back together to do walk this way with run dmc and that's what mm-hmm. launched them back to the top of the charts
1: Brought them back into the spotlight, and they've remained there ever since. So barring the Joey Kramer
0: shit going on, hopefully they can get that resolved. Uh, They'll still be back with all of their original members.
1: Well, and And then that brings us to uh, another uh, vocal replacement that was such an interesting story that it kind of was dramatized in a movie. Um, Judas Priest, Rob Halford, their their once and future singer, uh, such a powerhouse vocalist, and... And he, uh, apparently the rest of the band weren't happy that he was gay. So, at one point, um, Rob parted ways with Judas Priest, and they hired another guy named Tim Ripper Owens, who was in a Judas Priest tribute band, they found him Mm -hmm. online, I think, I don't really remember, but uh, maybe it was before the internet, not really sure, but they found Tim Owens to replace Rob Halford, And uh, even though they kind of shit-canned Rob for really awful reasons, um, Tim stepped in and did a really uh, fantastic job. Uh, And his story was dramatized in the film with Mark Wahlberg called Rockstar. um, Yeah. Which was a really really good movie if you haven't seen it. Interesting to see it dramatized like that, but... Yeah. And then, of course, uh, Rob had made his triumphant return after everybody kind of woke up and realized that, hey, you know, we uh, we, we sent you packing for shitty reasons. And uh, so come on back in. And Judas Priest is still doing their thing, and Rob Halford is still an amazing vocalist, but that was an interesting story. And then, um, another one of my favorite stories to kind of come out of the metal box, um, was Cannibal Corpse. Okay. I'm not, uh, As I said, I'm not really into, um, you know, metal for the most part. And death metal uh, is, is not really something that I pay much attention to either. But I love the story because Chris Barnes was Cannibal Corpse's original vocalist, and he was fine. I heard some of his stuff, and he was fine. But then they brought in George Fisher, nicknamed Corpse Grinder. And this guy is remarkable for three things. He's got a voice that sounds like a chorus of zombies screaming out of an open grave. (laughs) <laughs> um, he's got a neck that's as big around as a tr- the trunk of a mature oak, and he very famously, any place that uh, Cannibal Corpse will tour, he goes out and plays the claw machines at the Walmart and at the arcades, and has this technique that he uses to win stuffed animals with alarming regularity, and then he, this this giant, thick-necked, screaming metal singer with tattoos all over his body, named Corpse Grinder, will then donate these these fluffy stuffed animals to homeless shelters and to, uh, to, to schools and any place where kids need toys. So I fucking love that guy. I really just, his story is amazing to me. And even though I'm not really a giant fan of his band, I love him as a person for what he does.
0: I'm looking at a picture of Corpse Grinder now because he mentioned it, and yeah, that dude is him. Him's a biggin'.
1: He got some neck yeah. to him. I mean, he's a, apparently a very gentle, shy, reserved person off stage, but you know his onstage persona—you wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley.
0: Unless he's handing you a teddy bear he won on a claw machine.
1: This is for you.
0: <laughs>
1: this is for you. <laughs> you know, good for him. Good for. I brought you a present. Uh. <laughs> and now it, it, we're going to sort of segue into my favorite form of music, so I, I gotta, I'm going to go off a little bit. Um, I, sing, I sing in a, a 90s grunge and alt-rock cover band. So I happen to love 90s music to an absurd degree. And I remember years ago, um, just to kind of illustrate just the, the, the real musical chair's nature of, uh, of, of just the 90s family tree. I was in the car with my mom probably 10, 12 years ago, and I was listening to Lithium. We had the uh, the, the uh, uh, radio, the satellite radio going on, and a song came on. And it was uh, my mom said, "You yeah, know, I really like this. I haven't heard the song before. What is it?" And I said, "Oh, it's uh, it's Pets by Porno for Pyros." And mom said, "Oh, what's Porno for Pyros?" And I said, "Oh yeah, Porno for Pyros is a." Uh, it's a side project for Perry Farrell. He was the Jane's Addiction singer and founder of Lollapalooza. They'd broken up and gotten back together a couple of times, and I'm pretty sure he got that band together, uh, Porn of a power was when Dave Navarro, the guitarist, left to join the Red Hat Chili Peppers for just the One one Not Minute album and touring for a couple of years. They used to burn through a lot of guitarists in those days. The original guy, Hello Slovak, died of a heroin overdose. They hired John Fashante who left and then got replaced by Dave Navarro. Then Dave, uh, left and then, uh, uh John Fashante came back, and then Josh Klinghoff was in for a little while, and then Dave came back again. And apart from the guitarist slot, though, the Chili Peppers have mostly been the same three dudes, Anthony Kiedis, Flea, and Chad Smith, for a while, except... Before Chad Smith was Jack Irons, way back before he was the founding drummer for Pearl Jam, and then after he left Pearl Jam there were the Daves, was Cruising and Abrazes before they finally settled on Matt Cameron, but they sort of shared Matt with Soundgarden, uh, and they only you know, record and Tour Sporadically anyway Soundgarden, uh, and now they don't do anything anymore because you know, Chris Cornell's dead, except the current lineup of Pearl Jam is 90% also Temple of the Dog, which was, is a joint Pearl Jam slash Soundgarden sort of tribute act honoring you know Mother Love Bone singer Andy Wood who died, Mother Love Bone being a band that he was in with Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament from before they were in Pearl Jam, and sometimes Chris Chris Cornell from Soundgarden would show up on stage with him to do Hunger Strike, at least when he's not busy recording with Audio Slave, which is a band formed with Tim Comerford, Brad Wilk, and Tom Morello, after Zack Dillaroca left it Rage against the machine. My mom's like, holy shit! How do you remember this? And I I can't remember what I had for breakfast, okay? I can't remember important things, but... The deeply incestuous Musical Chairs 90s music family tree is burned into my brain because that was when I first really started paying attention to music that was mine instead of music I borrowed from my parents once I got to college.
0: Take a breath. Yeah. That was, a, that, I was need a, one. That, that was a rant. My God. It's but I mean, incorrect. that's just how my
1: brain works. It's not 90... only, uh, you know, this, this 90s music is burned into it, but I'm also, you know, a little bit... Uh, ADHD, OCD, all the letters, so, um, you know, that stuff just, uh, comes out in appropriate moments, but, yeah, I don't remember my, anything important, but that I'll never forget.
0: My wife sent me one this weekend, and, and unfortunately it's a bit sad for me, but it was, uh, they're doing a tribute to Taylor Hawkins concert on yeah. September. Wembley Stadium and they're doing a list of guests uh, like vocalists and guest guitarists but the the biggest thing is they're doing uh, guest drummers to fill in for uh, the deceased Taylor Hawkins and one of them that they're bringing on 11 year old Nandy Bushell Mm -hmm. who who very famously over the course of the coronavirus pandemic was uh, doing this drum off with Dave on uh, social media and it was wonderful absolutely uplifting to watch it really was because i mean dave, dave is one of the best people in music period point blank whether you agree Never with me as bad as about him as far as him being a musician but just just a stellar human being and, and just a great representative for all things that can be good with music for and sure. uh I, I for one i'm looking forward to seeing uh nandy step in of course she's very uh uh very much wanting to honor Taylor who became a friend to her and so it'll be interesting to see how they work that in and and, and she's just a she's a dynamo drummer and just a kick-ass person yeah. and and I, I, I for one want to support her uh, furthering musical career she's obviously very very talented um, for but, sure uh, I, she of course is not stepping in in any meaningful way for, uh, for the Foo Fighters which although could you imagine
1: that? How you, you know, that you never know. She's you never got know. the talent. She could wind up getting the gig. She could She's do got it. got the talent. And I think the fans would support that as much as they don't want to see anybody replace Taylor. It's it's inevitable they have to at some point. So, you know, having Nandy up there uh, rocking the skins I think would be a beautiful thing to see. I'd be but, you know, into the it. 90s, the 90s were super incestuous and super musical jersey. And there were a lot of bands that maybe didn't necessarily lose singers but sort of like broke up and reformed in new... Molecular structures uh, like Audio Slave. We talked about Audio Slave. Audio Slave is basically Rage Against the Machine without Zach De La Roca, but they uh, picked up Chris Cornell from Soundgarden. And what's interesting about that to me is that it's 75% Rage Against the Machine. It's Tim Comerford, Brad Wilk, and Tom Morello, um, but nobody's going to mistake any Audio Slave song for a Rage Against the Machine song. Totally different sound. However, you'd be forgiven for mistaking uh, audio slave songs like Cochise or Be Yourself or uh, any of those for Soundgarden songs. They had a very similar sound with uh, with Chris Cornell handling lead vocal and some of the songwriting duties.
0: And that just goes to show you how uh, influential vocalists can be for a band is, is because yeah. the, uh, the way a person sings, you bring that kind of uh, stylistic influence to the band, which is to say that's why... Bands like Van Halen kind of shifted focus a little bit after the David Lee Roth era into the Sammy Hagar era. It, came, it became a bit more uh, Red Rockery style, a little bit more like yeah. Montrose, a little bit more like a little bit more serious. Less then, swaggery, more serious. Right. So you have this, this thing where a band will... Uh, I mean, shit, uh, another sentiment changed genres and formats entirely when I joined the band. They, they had originally started out as a band called uh, uh, questionably Cascadian. And, and they were kind of a, a alt rock metal pop kind of hip hop thing. It was really it's really hard to put a pinpoint a label on it. It's, it's difficult. Uh, and, but, but that was the influence of the singer that they had at the time. And then uh, when I came in, we all decided kind of on a different direction. We took another sentiment, if you will. Uh, hey oh <laughs> title drop. Sometimes you, the title drop is quite intentional. Uh, but we went a different direction with it. And, and I, I feel like, yeah, it, that's it. I mean, like we said, uh, guitar players are going to have a bit of an influence. Uh, drummers are going to have a bit of an influence in, in the way that the overall music sounds. But nothing is going to be more noticeable uh, than a complete singer swap, because that changes sure. the entire swagger of the band. And I don't know quite how to phrase that, but that's just kind of what I got.
1: But We see that in other bands in that era that that, that changed singers. Like NXS got their uh, start in the 80s, but they were ostensibly an alternative band, college rock, if you will, and Michael Hutchins, obviously, was a, uh, a fantastic singer. He was kind of the second coming of Jim Morrison in a lot of ways. Um, just a really, really amazing singer, but he passed away. Uh, at one point, which was really, really tragic. And so NXS took the tack of they had a reality show to audition new singers, kind of like The Voice right. or America's Got Talent. They actually had a, uh, a an elimination-style reality show to find the new singer, and uh, they hired a guy named J.D. Fortune. And J.D. Fortune uh, fronted the band for a little while, um, but eventually wound up either leaving or getting fired, depending on who you talk to, because he wound up sort of... Uh, Really taking a little bit to the rock star lifestyle and became an addict, and uh, kind of put all the money in his veins or up his nose. I don't know; stories vary, but uh, they didn't wind up lasting with JD Fortune for very long at all, sadly. So that didn't uh, that didn't wind up panning out the way anybody suspected,
0: it. which is unfortunate. Yeah, you never want to see anyone kind of fall down that rabbit hole.
1: Well, speaking of addicts burning out and fading away, we've got Stone Pilots and their very famous. Uh, S- troubles they had with the singer Scott Weiland. Now, Scott uh, was, was the perfect 90s front man. He's very charismatic. He uh, had an incredible voice, really, really great with the songwriting. I but, love Scott uh, He Willen. left and... Yeah, I love Scott Weiland. He, he left and came back several times, um, leaving the rest of the guys in the band to kind of uh, fend for themselves. At one point, they paired up with uh, the singer of Ten Inch Men, Dave Kautz, and formed a, a band called Talk Show. The other three guys in the band. Um, whereas Scott went off and formed a band called Velvet Revolver, with ex and current members of Guns N' Roses and kind of did their own thing that was sort of like, you know, you got Slash on guitar, you got Scott on vocals, it sort of sounds a little like GNR, sort of sounds a little like Stone Temple Pilots and, you know, not exactly like either of them, so that was interesting. Um, and then, of course, um, Stone Temple Pilots also went through a couple of other lead singers. For a moment, they actually worked at Chester Bennington, uh, formerly of Lincoln Park, who was also not with us anymore. And uh, that was kind of an ill fit if you look at some of the videos, but, you know, good for all of them for kind of trying to make that go. But these days, they have a guy named Jeff Goot, and he is kind of like... We've talked about this before, where where some bands, if you're going to replace the singer, you kind of have to find either somebody who has the same energy, but not exactly the same sort of, like, vocal delivery, or you just straight up go for a sound-alike. And that's really what STP did. They got this guy, Jeff, he kind of looks a little bit like Scott with the uh, the wiry frame and the frosted tips, you know, sort of like uh, Purple Era, Scott, and uh, he's <laughs> got a voice that sounds very much like Scott Weiland, so, I mean, you know, good for them, uh, they're, they're still rocking it out, and that's kind of the same uh, pattern that uh, Allison Chains followed, uh, Lane Staley, also much like Scott Weiland, famously died of a drug overdose, very tragically, yeah. and um, so the rest of the band took a couple years off, and then eventually hired a guy named William Duvall. To kind of take over for him and even though he doesn't sound exactly like Lane he sounds enough like Lane that when he and Jerry Cantrell's voices blend together in those intricate harmonies they do it's it's sort of reminiscent of the, the glory days a little bit so California. I don't begrudge either one of them for continuing based on uh, finding new people and just picking up the torch and continuing to carry it forward. In, in, in any case,
0: right. And so, like I said, this whole the whole idea behind this is is not me coming at it from the aspect of being a lead singer and thereby thinking I'm irreplaceable and and things like that. Far be it. Like I said, my ego is is non-existent due to the fact that I have anxiety and imposter syndrome to beat the band. Uh, but no pun intended. <laughs> but the idea is to talk about these replacements in music, and how noticeable they are. Whether you're a huge fan or a standby <coughs> fan or just a casual observer, uh, like I am with Kiss. I mean, I like Kiss's music, okay, but uh, as a stand, as just a, an outside observer, I really haven't noticed much of a difference. And I don't know that the, and I know, don't know that that's not the point. You know, yeah. when they're hiring someone to fill a gap. You want to try to fill the gap in a way that's going to be uh, the least impactful, I would think, to your fans. Even though some of these decisions haven't happened that way, but like with like we were talking about with Allison Chains, with William Duvall, uh, our STP Jeff Good, you want to make sure you get someone who's going to adequately represent the previous material plus the new material going forward. Have yeah. that's, that's, it's got to be reminiscent of the style that you've built, which is not what the Dave. Yep. Uh, David Lee Roth and, and Sammy Hagar type thing, but, you know, again, reinvention's a messy process, so...
1: Yeah, a couple uh, more quick quick shots on the uh, the alt-rock tip. Uh, we got uh, sure. Faith No More, uh, Chuck Mosley, who was the vocalist on early hits like uh, We Care A Lot. He wound up taking off or getting fired, not really sure, don't really care, look that up, but they hired Mike Patton, <laughs> um, uh, who also uh, sings with a band called Mr. Bungle as a side project, which I think, if not mistaken, existed before Faith No More. Um, but Mike Patton was uh, was was one of the best moves they could have made. Mike Patton is a fantastic vocalist. He's got one of the broadest him. ranges of any rock singer that's ever lived. All, um, just a fantastic singer. Uh, Sublime, uh, when Bradley Noel, uh, again, died of an overdose. I think he's in the 27th Club, if I'm not mistaken. They... The other two guys in the band uh, teamed up with a guy named Rome Ramirez, and now they they're out there touring as Sublime with Rome. But I think one of the most interesting uh, stories to come out of like these sort of like weird '90s musical chairs is uh, Evanescence. Amy Lee, famously their singer, uh, apparently at one point had a falling out with the guitar player and the rest of the band over, you know, depending on who you talk to, it was either some diva behavior or the band was 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 a little bit uh, feeling themselves a little too hard. But whatever, most of Evanescence split. And Amy Lee hired sort of jobbers and hired guns to flesh out the rest of Evanescence to continue and be out on tour playing the hits. But uh, the rest of Evanescence formed a new band called We Are the Fallen uh, with, a gal named Carly Hennessy Smithson on lead. Now, she sounds a lot like Amy Lee. She looks a lot like Amy Lee. We Are the Fallen sounds a lot like Evanescence, but Carly Smithson has a really interesting story. She actually was signed to a record label, I want to say mid-2000s, And she was trying to make it as a pop singer, a la Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera or any of those uh, ex-sort of Disney uh, wannabe veterans. And she kicked out a couple of cheesy pop songs. Uh, One of them, if you want to look it up, Carly Hennessy. It's called "Blow Your Mind." It's a uh, a cheesy little pop song written by Greg Alexander, uh, who eventually was the driving creative force behind the '90s one one hit wonders. which my girlfriend will kill me for saying that because she loves these guys, but uh, New Radicals, you know their song, uh, you, you Get What You Give. Um, but they hired her to go out and be like an Evanescence clone, and if you want to see uh, how different styles can be, uh, Google Carly Hennessy, um, blow your mind, and then also look up We Are the Fallen, Bury Me Alive. It's it's like a 180 in terms of style. I really, really want to kiss you, but I'm- Um, but yeah, the All Rock era was, was certainly, uh, certainly pretty incestuous on a lot of levels with, with the personnel, but I don't know. I mean, we got some interesting music out of it. I mean, I like Velvet Revolver as much as I like Stone Temple Pilots.
0: Right. Uh, and we certainly got some interesting stories out of it too. So like you were saying, for sure. but, uh, we want to know what you think. This is by no means anything but scratching the surface of this because if you've got a band, you've got musical shift. I mean, that's just going to happen. Uh, and I guess that's as good a term as any for it. It's just musical shift. Uh, as as things happen, the band shifts and changes and evolves and grows and changes and maybe doesn't grow. But uh, uh, who do you think? I mean, let us know your opinions and who you feel were adequate replacement for bands or maybe
1: not. I got to sneak in one more before we wrap this up. Sure. I know we're going a little bit long here, but my, my girlfriend will kill me. And rightly so if I don't mention um, Depeche Mode. Uh, Depeche yeah. Mode originally fronted That's by right. Vince Clark, uh, and Just Can't Get Enough was the big hit that they had with Vince Clark, and, uh, then eventually, uh, Dave Gahan, who was, I think, playing some, uh, some backups for them, doing some back was associated with the band, but wasn't singing, got moved into the lead, singer, and she clued me into all this, because I love Depeche Mode, but it wasn't really clued into their history, but I kind of asked her about it recently, and we've been learning about each other's favorite music, and so, uh, Dave Gahan stepped up, and he's, he's their singer now, and they had a very strong tonal shift, if you listen to, uh, just can't get enough, it's a very poppy, upbeat kind of New Wave song, and then after Dave took over Lead Vocal Duties, uh, Depeche Mode got pretty moody, they started doing stuff like, um, you know, It's No Good, and uh, Enjoy the Silence, and Policy of Truth, and all the really sort of like, the way that um, uh, Steph described it, uh, kind of characterized the uh, the classic New Wave sound, and, and uh, Depeche Mode in particular, is the emotions are warm, but the music is cold. I think that's a really interesting way to put it. It's very synth-heavy, it's very sort of sterile, the production's incredibly clean, but, um, you know, much like Evanescence and uh, We Are the Fallen, Joy Division became New Order once Ian Curtis left and Bernard Sumner came in, and, uh, you know, Black Flag had uh, some punk stuff going on with Keith Morris and Des Kadana before Henry Rollins took over, so, you know, and Misfits with Glenn Danzig and Michael Graves, there's a lot of different bands that have sort of either changed their sound dramatically or kept their sound as close to the vest as they could by putting in new singers, but again, we could really be at this all day. And uh, there are just so many examples of this going on. But yeah, like you said, if you want to let us know what you think, if there's any bands that you love that have swapped members around, that have moved people from one position to another... Like the, the remote and right the ugly. Yeah. When D.D. decided it was too hard to sing and play bass at the same time, so they pulled Joey off drums and threw his gawky, gangly ass out front. Cool. Um, just let us know. You know, <laughs> if you've got any favorite band that has had some lineup changes or uh, had a vocal or tonal shift somewhere uh, in medias res of their existence, we want to hear from you. Absolutely. And
0: there's a couple of ways you can get a hold of us. You can reach us on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom. You can send us an email, the good old-fashioned
1: way, uh, fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up at the backup Gmail address, which is fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. We're on Instagram at fuelyourfandom. We're on Twitter at fuel underscore your. And, of course, we're always taking donations for the Fuel the Future program that gets comics into the hands of underprivileged kids. And you can dump a couple bucks on us at PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App at @fuelyourfandom. And, of course, you can always find us anywhere you find fine podcasts. We're on Stitcher, we're on Audible, we're on Spotify, we're on iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, you name it, we're probably there. It's
0: true. We are everywhere. And, and we, we like I said, we want to have a conversation with you. We want to know what your thoughts on this are, because there are so many bands that we couldn't get to and so many bands that maybe we're unaware of. And we just don't have the experience. I mean, music is so ubiquitous and so spread out and vast and wide is that there's, there's no possible way anyone's going to know everything about it, so let us know
1: uh your bands that you uh have noticed this musical shift happening oh yeah yeah, and I forgot to mention that after Vince Clark left the Mode he went on to form Erasure, which that was a another new That's way another band, totally different yeah. sound. so you know so yeah it's uh these things are all over the place, but yeah, we want to hear from you we want to <laughs> hear from you and who your favorite bands are and how all this plays out in your head
0: absolutely so. Uh, reach out, give us uh, a touch, and uh, we'll, we promise we'll touch back. It's all good. We're giving like that. Consensual? It's only consensual. <laughs> but uh, let us know what you think. From Jim and I both, I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Few Your Phantom podcast. And of course, please do remember, as evidenced by today, everything is fandom. And fandom is everything. Take care. Outro (laughs) Music